I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's been a little while, but uh, we're going to go full speed ahead into plot and character now. How are you doing today, Ted? I'm doing good, John. Uh, yeah, and I am excited to be starting this new um, sequence or whatever it is of episodes where we are going to do outlining. And just one big warning that I want to say now before we move any further, and this will just be quickly, is that there will be plot spoilers in this section of the podcast. I don't know if we're definitely going to spoil it today. I'm, de- I'm not going to spoil it for you right now this second. But as we discuss the actual plot events, there's some time where we're just going to have to say things that either directly or indirectly are going to let you know about um, like basically the one big thing that we've been holding back so far. So there's, you know, we've already discussed a lot of the plot, but we haven't discussed one major twist and it is going to eventually get spoiled and discussed. So if you don't want to know that, like if you're listening to this in the future and the book is already out, I'd say stop listening now and read the book. Um, but if you are with us, I assume that you don't mind and you enjoy thinking through this, you know, in its entirety with us. So we are going to throw caution to the wind at this point and, uh, uh, you should be aware. Another thing to know if you're along this ride with us is that, uh, you know, our usual approach to the writing process, and I don't think we're the only people that do this is to try to get through a story from start to finish, you know, without getting bogged down. Uh, and that means sometimes you have to make provisional choices along the way or have some sort of sketchy solutions. But the idea is you want to get all the way through the story once, um, knowing that then you're going to come back and do a second sweep and then maybe a third sweep where you're going to sort of tidy it up and improve it. So this is going to be that first sweep. We're going to make some snap decisions that are almost certainly going to get changed later. Um, so everything we talk about is provisional, but it's, it's necessary to do this first pass, um, so that you can then look at the script in its entirety. Yeah. Um, I just find it's necessary because if I let myself go back over things, I go endlessly back over them and back over them without realizing what's important. So it's endlessly polishing the first act is a trap that you can follow. This is a technique that I think both of us have used for some time to just make sure we get through things. And, uh, so yeah, that's right. Um, so we can just jump right into it, unless you wanted to talk about any media club stuff, John. Yeah, I do, actually. So uh, I just want to make a little, we're not going to talk about this in detail, but I just want to make a little recommendation um, of something by Don Hertzfeldt. People may have heard of him. He's an Academy Award winning animator. Yeah. And he has made uh, recently um, three different uh, that are part of a series, science fiction shorts called World of Tomorrow. There's parts one, two, and three. Uh, the part three came out really recently, I think within the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all available online at Vimeo for purchase. And they're just full of fun sci-fi ideas. And uh, they're also quite funny and use his sort of stick figure and uh, sort of abstract animation style where he also tends to use a lot of you know, creative, like mixed media and effects and things. Uh, It's all uh, stop motion stuff. So um, I definitely recommend that if, you know, people, if you like, if you're at that intersection where you enjoy weird indie animation and you also like strange sci-fi ideas about 
clones and simulated beings and time travel and all of that. Uh, I think this should be uh, right up your alley. Yeah, I watched this recently at your uh, recommendation, John, and I've been a fan of Hertzfeld, of course, for years and years since the old Spike and Mike traveling festivals. Um, and uh, he, he he has this great animation style, if people aren't familiar, which uh, you sort of described, which is like these kind of stick figures and a kind of absurdist, um, often sort of grotesque or violent sort of sense of humor. He does all the animation on... Um, a 35 millimeter animation stand that they used to use to make the peanuts movies um, for television. He has one of the last of those that's like in operation, but he also uses all this like digital stuff as well. And this particular series that uh, John's describing really is just chock full of quickly rattled off sort of science fiction ideas, like in a way that's almost bewildering. Like I kind of want to watch it a second time to make a catalog of all of them, but they're all interesting things that I'd either heard of, or, uh, you know, uh, had seen discussed before, but there was just so much of it. And it was also dense. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it as well. Uh, we don't have to discuss it beyond that, but I think uh, people who like this podcast will probably be into it. Um, all right. So this gets us to, you know, the beginning of the outline. Yes. Uh, although I think before we do like true plot stuff we just want to sketch out our main characters because we've been talking about them as you know person number one person number two and it's been really awkward so we're going to dispense with that right now right we realize we have to name this people and stuff like that just so that we can get going again these are all provisional decisions everything is subject to potential change but we're going to make some now uh well we actually made some uh, previous to this recording and we're going to tell you them now and uh, also we'll continue to make more like this uh, so let's go forward with that so we have our main character right uh, we named him yes his name is uh, Tim Ito that's his name and we decided his name's Tim Ito perhaps because his family background is that he's got uh, a Japanese father and uh, a white mother um, maybe he was uh, raised in America with the uh, you know, having uh, both parents been multiply, you know, uh, American for a couple of generations. Um, so he grew up in like a very American social milieu, but uh, is uh, half white and half East Asian. Yeah, I'm picturing uh, my cousins, to be honest, many of whom yes. have exactly that that makeup and are about the right age of this of this guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's right. His age should be that he's born around 1993. That's right. Yeah. So he would be he would be younger than us. But, yeah, by uh, about a decade. But not uh, not too too much younger. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that makes him zero gen, obviously, right? He was, you know, he knew a whole life before the simulation began. That's right. Um, so he would have been in his uh, late twenties. He's about twenty seven when the simulation began. And so that means he had plenty of time to go through college and you know start living his adult life. Um, in the regular world with the regular uh, strictures before he was, you know, uh, waking up alone on the Serengeti like everyone else. And I think we timed it where, you know, he would be the kind of person he, you know, there's been a lot of like bad times to graduate in recent history, right? There was the 2008 recession and most recently now that today would be a very bad time. Um, But (laughs) he kind of like slots in the middle there, right? Like he... 
Right, which is kind of like what we did, right, in an earlier middle. <laughs> we kind of, yeah. Because we so, got out in 04, so that's kind of like in between the dot-com bust that happened when we started college and the and the Great Recession in 08. He gets out kind of in the next middle period between the 08 recession and the current disasters. And, yeah, so that means that, like, he was actually able to get a job uh, after college, and we're thinking it wasn't um, an artistic job. It was more of a, like, a technical writing job, which yeah, is a, and that's, a bad uh, job that you had at one point. I had that kind of job once, so I, I feel like I can at least um, accurately represent what it's like. And, uh, yeah, the idea being that this is a guy who, um, you know, he's an artistic, in our story, when we pick up with him, he's an artistic uh, sort of um hopeful uh but we didn't want him to have been that for a hundred years <laughs> we wanted that to have been something that happened to him over time so we imagine that uh you know when he started out in the world he was more like the kind of person who you know gets a job and is practical and doesn't you know necessarily follow their dreams um that's something that comes out later after living in the constellation that's right. I think we did the math and figured that, like, when the story starts, he's, like, currently 102 years old. So... I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been through a lot of life phases. Uh, we haven't, you know, figured out exactly what all of those are, but he's, you know, he's had relationships and lost them. He's probably had other t- kinds of careers and things that he's tried. Right. He uh, might have even ro- raised a kid or something. We yeah, just, and that's you know that, the, that's possible. There's enough. Time. Yeah, that's something that we may add at some point. You know, if we if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, but at the time of our story, um, and I think maybe you know, a decade at least prior to our story, he's become you know a real connoisseur of of these art worlds. Right. That's what he's become obsessed with. Right. That's where he, what he's sort of staking a claim to that he's going to build his life around. This is where I'm going to get meaning is, you know, appreciating these uh, these unique creations. And that leads him, of course, to wanting to be a part of this club because the club is just the premier organization for having the best access to the most exclusive, most interesting worlds. And uh, that is really his, like, primary motivating factor. And I think... You know, this is something that may be fluid, but I, for the time being, Ted, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we've kind of decided that that comes first, right? His desire to come into the club, and that then leads him to pursue becoming a maker of worlds, because that's one of the ways you can get a club invite. Does that sound right to you? Right. Well, so I think we should just provisionally make that choice right now, and yeah. exactly that way. And and we did have an interesting discussion offline Um that we won't recreate all of right now about what it would be like going the opposite way and having him be more like the pure artist. But I think that for the purpose of our drama, that's the the way you've pitched is the better way to go. And uh, to the extent that we want to represent a pure artist, we maybe should do that with our partner character uh, who we can talk about more later. Yeah. And so, and this sort of dips into the plot a tiny bit, but yeah, we're saying that the club you know, is invite only. Uh, That was actually the name of the original short story. So we're going to preserve that concept. Maybe even, um, yeah, that might even be like a chapter title or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have to be invited and they always invite the winner sort of the annual, we'll say winner of, uh, an art world contest. 
And so that's, you know, that's how he's going to get his ticket in because he's not part of one of the elite families in the constellation. He's not super well connected. So this is one of the ways that an ordinary person can make it into those big leagues is by, you know, proving yourself by creating an awesome world that wins this contest. Right. Um, now, shall we talk about our other major character? Yes. Um, who is who we've been calling up until this point just the club rep, right? Because this is the person that right. is hazing Tim Ito. Right. So, I mean, yeah, exactly how it happens, we haven't, you know, decided yet, but basically he's going to seek out um, this club somehow. He's going to ignore the invite-only um, nature of the club, and he's going to try to get in. And the person that he's going to end up, you know, interacting with, who is actually, you know, um, representing the club here, is uh, this this character. So we've been go- uh, toying with a couple of different names. Do we want to just go ahead and pick Zoya? Is Zoya the name? Yeah, I think that's what that's what I like for now. Okay, I like that name too. So it's Z O Y A Zoya, and it's a little bit more uncommon of a name. Um, but that's sort of on purpose because one of the things about Zoya is that Zoya is. Uh, first gen. So Zoya was born in the constellation. That's right. So that allows our two main characters to represent a sort of two sides of a generational divide. That's going to be pretty big, we think. Right. And, uh, you know, people born in the constellation are still born with a simulated biological sex, right? They have an XX or an XY chromosome set up. Yes. So we're saying that uh, Zoya was born female, but uh, in the story, because you can adopt whatever avatar you want, uh, is mostly going to be presenting as male. Yes. And this is part of like an idea that we had that that might be a thing that some people would do for various reasons. So that's right. So we're going to meet Zoya as a male avatar thing. Uh, but, uh, but then later, uh, we will find out that Zoya sometimes wears a female avatar as well and was born, uh, as female, um, sort of, you know, her parents think of her as their daughter or something. Um, but, uh, to her gender is, uh, much more like a a style of clothes than it is like, um, (laughs) uh, an inherent identity. (laughs) So, and we should, uh, we should talk about her parents actually, because they are yes. her parents are zero gen, right? So although they would probably be, you know, maybe twenty years older than than Tim, mm-hmm. um, they might when have they been, were scanned, correct? Yeah, when they were yeah, scanned, yeah. they might have been in their forties or something, right? Um, we're thinking they were career uh, lawyers, maybe big powerful corporate lawyers, right? People um, who served power and were like well paid for it in the real world. Right, but they were, for whatever reason, prevented from fully rising up the the ranks. I mean, these are think of the you know, sort of a power couple that's incredibly ambitious, right? right. Um, is chasing power somewhat for its own sake, kind of achieved some measure of that in the pre-simulation world, but you know, was we're kind of hitting a ceiling. Right, right, exactly, and then they all of a sudden get put into the constellation and that ambition is sort of redirected and doesn't have the kind of ceiling that it had in the real world. So they do incredibly well and they become one of the, you know, several, um, 
families that sort of do really well in this in this early constellation world. Yeah, so they're like, you know, among the more powerful people in the constellation, I think we decided that they would be the sort of owners, creators of an almanac world. Yeah, that that's is right. Sort of, that's the that's the the decision we made. Yeah, that's like a cat it's like a a world that is like a directory of all the other worlds, right? Right. Um right. And, you know, again, it makes sense that lawyers would, power-hungry lawyers would be successful. There's a lot of, like, you know, contract sort of negotiation that happens in this permissions uh, universe or constellation universe. Uh, right, right. That and a created. lot of the limit is also your own drive and ambition, which they had a lot of. So they end up doing something, you know, building one of these early, really useful utility worlds, this almanac world, and it, it pays off for them in a big way. Um. So yeah, so they're extremely connected, but one thing they don't have is anybody inside the club either. Um, right. And, and, they, and they really want that for a couple of different reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, one is just it's, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I can think of more than, more than one, but do you want to go ahead? I think we should those? do a few. Like, I mean, obviously there's the... Um, they're, they're just inherent ambition and their desire to be accepted into this elite group. Um, but I think there's also the possibility that, you know, their almanac world could really benefit from the kind of um, knowledge that a club, you know, of people obsessed with novel worlds would have, right? They would have so much n information that an almanac world would want. And then we also talked about, I think, a third reason that they might want in, which is a maybe a maybe more exciting reason, which is maybe this family is involved because of their deep um, information ties. Maybe this family is somehow involved in some kind of espionage. And if that's the case, then getting into the club could be getting access to um, clients or targets or sources of information or all three. And, you know, that's very exciting to me if we want to have a little bit of you know, um, crime or something, you know, in the constellation, one of the things that could still definitely happen is espionage because so many things, if you can get the information about them, that's the same as having the thing. Um, so, uh, that would be, you know, there'd be a lot of incentive to do espionage of various kinds. Yeah. Cause es information is powerful in the constellation. Like information is always powerful, but, it's also because, somewhat limited in a way that almost nothing else is, right? Because yeah. of the lack of interworld communication. Yeah, today that gets yeah mitigated against by the fact that everything's sort of computerized now and easily copyable, and so it's it's well, kind of in hard. One world. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to keep secrets uh, for, for too long right. uh, in our world. But in the constellation, it could be a little easier because um, everything's siloed inside these worlds. And yes, you can you can. You can move it between, but you have to, you can't like sh send it in an email between worlds. You've got to actually have a person like a spy, right? And we both, I think, like spy movies and spy stories. So the fact that that kind of gels well with our universe, I think is cool. Yeah, it brings um, in a genre element that I generally like and generally don't think is too overplayed. Um, and it also, I think, makes sense because we want to present these parents of Zoya as you know, they're kind of putting a lot of pressure on her. They really want her to uh, go um, into this club and um, be part of it. 
and and to uh, do everything that the club wants of her, etc. So um, it's really important to them, and that's going to push her to make some decisions that um, you know she might otherwise not make. Um, so I think that's something that we really critically want her to be uh, feeling. That's right. That's right. A lot of a lot of parental pressure is placed upon her. Um, so let's uh, let's. Those are our two characters. Now we can talk about them as having names. Um, there's right, other so we're talking about Tim and Zoya, basically. Tim That's... and Zoya. There's other characters that don't have names yet, uh, but I think at least at least those do. And so I, let's sort of just talk about maybe our initial setup um, and how you know we envision like the sort of opening pages of this book going. Um, so our main character, our main point of view, at least in the beginning, is going to be Tim. And because Tim is so motivated by getting into the club, and also because, you know, at the moment you open up this comic book, if you haven't been, if you're the sort of person that's not been listening to this podcast for yes. weeks on end, uh, you're not going to have any clue what's going on in this Constellation universe. So there's going to be a fair amount of setup, you know, like the beginning of any sci-fi story, there's often, you know, that you're, you're, you feel a little lost as a reader sometimes in those uh, first several pages while you're trying to, trying to get right, your bearings right. in the We got to strike a balance here because we want to drop you into the story, but we don't want you to be so confused that you don't, right? We got to quickly get you at least situated enough that you know what the other characters are worried about and then you can sort of figure things out from there. But yeah, we definitely need to um, make sure that you're, you're not too lost. So we're... Th- thinking that it should be possible to marry those two jobs at once, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we imagine uh, Tim at a later date, um, you know, at a bar or something, sort of explaining to someone, and that being sort of the source of a voiceover that, right. we, uh, that we open up our story with. Mm-hmm. And basically what he's trying to express to, some, to an unseen listener and to the audience is why he cares so much, right, about this club. Uh, why is it, why is it, like, this, why does he find this to be, like, the best source of meaning in this constellation, where you right, kind of have to make right. your own meaning, because anything is possible? It's sort of the subjective argument for why anybody would care about status <laughs> at all, in a way. It's like, it's, but, 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 but made totally personal and done or from his point too, of view. art, right? I mean, um... You know, so I, it's, you know, obviously we don't have like, we're going to, that's, that's, we're probably going to have to rewrite that, the dialogue several times, but it should be possible while he's explaining why the club is so important to him and why Mm -hmm. that's his purpose in life should be hopefully possible for him to also catch the audience up on some of the, you know, like the fact that he's hundred years old, right? The fact that he's lived, you know, through several careers and relationships. Just the fact that a constellation exists and that people know about it and you know just the basic premise is going to have to come out somehow in this early conversation right because one of the reasons you might care so much about this club is because you're a hundred years old right i mean if you've ever seen a vampire story uh it's a little bit like that right when you've when you're alive for that long and you still are young and still capable and you're immortal um you know your goals start morphing right? right right you run out of goals and then you start having to make new ones and and one of them might be to you know achieve a level of status that is sort of unthinkable for you um, so we're gonna we're gonna open up with him you know making his pitch 
Yeah. Uh, and sort of like welcoming the audience into this world. We'll probably have a lot of imagery too, like showing different kinds of art worlds and images of the club and the constellation. And, you know, I imagine this to be a little bit montage um, mm -hmm. at least for the first few pages. Um, and at some point we're going to settle into um, sort of the beginning of the plot, right? Which is him trying to win this contest, right? That we mentioned earlier. Right. Um, and it being kind of the 11th hour, you know, the, the submissions are due soon. Right. And he's having, he's having an argument, um, at this time with, uh, our third character who does not have a name yet, who we right. will this call partner the partner. We've been talking about a bit. Yeah. So this is somebody that he created a world with an artistic partner. Yeah. And we're imagining like as part of him trying to become a world creator, he's joined a maker community that mm -hmm. is that is dedicated to that that has maybe pr access to proprietary libraries and like a support group network and so on and and while he was there he met uh, a collaborator and I, you were sort of alluding to earlier that the collaborator probably is in it for a different reason right <laughs> it's probably not as obsessed with the club right and that's sort Tim of is. part of the source of their um conflict yeah, I mean, so, like, one way this might play out is, you know, it, it, for Tim, that getting into the club is everything, uh, and he probably wants, you know, the world they're making to be artistically solid as well, but that's more of a means to an end. And if that's inverted for the other character, that creates some tension, right? So if the other character is, like, bottom line is, I want to make good art, and the club, you know, if, hey, if we get into the club, that's a bonus. That's my second priority. Um you can imagine that could lead to some stress, right? Like, because as they're trying to decide at the last minute changes that they're going to make, I mean, like any deadline, you end up making compromises, right? Potentially. Right. Um, so I would imagine like the partner would be in, would not want to make those compromises, would just say, you know, we missed the deadline. So what? Let's make this good. Let's not put out something incomplete. Right, and right. And it's just this one festival, you know, as a, as a sliver of the Constellation's attention, how much could it be? But because it's got the club's attention, uh, it's really important to Tim. Yeah, I mean, this is his one shot or else he's got to wait a whole year. And by uh, that time, this world will already have been released. It won't be new anymore. Other people have copied it. So even if this world, you know was gonna make it for them it, it wouldn't work the next year they'd have to come up with a whole new idea and build something new and you know so it's it does seem like it would sort of go to waste to him if it doesn't happen now so we're gonna say that tim wins that argument i guess right because they do make their submission right so he wins the argument or he forces the issue somehow um you know i don't know how exactly this all works but maybe he submits them without the other guy's consent or Maybe he just wins the argument um, and the guy says, all right, but if, you know, if we don't do well, I'm blaming you, basically. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, and the other entrant uh, into this contest is Zoya. Um, right. Which is important coming up. So, I mean. Who is also a person who lives in this maker world, correct? I think so. I, I think we actually, decided that. I think we should just, again, provisionally just go with that. Yeah. Because, so that means he's maybe met her before or seen her around or he has some awareness of her as a human, um, perhaps. Um, and so, 
where do we want to go from here? Do we want to... Well, so I was just going to raise a question, which is... Uh-huh. Um, and we can, make, again, make a provisional answer. Is she on the maker world pursuing the contest herself because that's what she's using her privileged upbringing to do because she wants to make art or, Mm -hmm. and then the parents get involved later when Mm -hmm. it turns out she's actually good at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or is it more like her parents like put her up to this whole thing? No, no, no. I think it's the first thing. I think she's the rebellious daughter of these rich parents. She has other brothers and sisters who are probably like working the family firm or whatever, uh, you know, trying to do the succession type thing. But she's like the artist. She's the one who's like, I don't want to do all this. I'm going to make a world. I'm going to do my own thing. Screw you guys. And they are keep, you know, oh, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come back? And then she wins the contest. And then they realize, oh, you can now be of real value to us. You did a great thing, Zoya. You're our new favorite. And then they start putting the pressure on her that way. To me, that's... That shows that she has some agency in this. I think that's good. And also, um, well, it just know. makes so much sense. I mean, like, I even just, yeah, a... it just, just dramatically, I just like it, I guess. I'm just like interested in it. It feels right to me. Well, and on a small scale, I think we can sort of identify with like how, you know, people who do creative things, like when you're talking to parents and family members, they tend to like, their eyes tend to glaze over and they tend to tune out until there's some sort of very concrete. <laughs> thing you know that says that like you've actually succeeded right i don't know sure you've had that experience yeah, I, I imagine mean, i i definitely yeah i definitely think that's true i mean they tend to they tend to like undervalue the artistic pursuit and overvalue the kinds of accolades that one gets <laughs> for, right for, along the way yeah for, for artistic like, pursuits you know so it's like on the one hand they're like when are you gonna real gonna get a real job you know or whatever and then on the other hand they're like oh did you hear you know the second time someone writes actually writes an article about it or something, now right. it's important. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit like a more extreme version of that, actually. And, and, and it's even better, I think, because it's self-interested. Once they realize, oh, this could give you access to this, you know, to this elite layer that we don't currently have access to, then instrumentally that's really valuable to us, you know. Um, then they're all of a sudden they're all into it and they want to kind of take over and direct her activities to make sure that she, you know, gets in and is, becomes a full member and, and in good standing and everything. So um, they right away are going to sort of completely change their, their view toward it. And I think it changes her view toward it too. Cause at first it's like, she's excited to sort of tell her parents to go screw themselves and do her own thing. And then, um, you know, she succeeds at it. She feels good about her, her abilities but then it, it 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 gets her stuck right back where she was before, where she didn't want to be, you know. Yeah, I like that a lot. So it and, takes some uh, of the sweetness out of winning, I think. Yeah. And by talking about this, we've of course given away that the fact that she she does win the contest, which of course means that Tim loses. Um, but that is going to be yes, sort of a sequence of scenes, right? Like uh, right. So I think we're you know again. Everything's temporary here, but I think what we decided was that there would be there would be a moment where they knew both knew that they were finalists, maybe even literally the top two, but they didn't know they hadn't not yet announced who the final winner was. Okay. Now, I mean, I don't know. I can't think of any 
awards thing that does it exactly this way. But you could imagine they would do, I mean, this is what they do on reality TV shows, right? So if you want to maximize the drama, of course, it makes right, sense right. to. Of course, this could be done through like rumors too, right? It doesn't have to be part of the like televised, like, you know, he could be trying to find out, you know, who placed and the 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 word around the street is it's, you know, what, him or her or like this third other thing that's just some crazy thing that we're never going to talk about again. Uh, you know, elephant world or something. And, uh, uh, or something like that. Like, I I don't know. It could be, yeah, it could be through rumor or it could be through some kind of like announcement, you know, coming up and showing the faces of all the people who might, uh, you know, I guess it could be like nominations, like nominations in the category of best world are like, you know, Tim, Zoya, three other people. We see all of their faces and then, Zoya wins, you know, and we see. Yeah, her. I guess the only part that I was saying I haven't seen before is where it's only two. It's usually like, you know. No, I think of... we should definitely have a few others because that's a moment where we can just um, quickly plant like three different weird shapes of person that we're going to show later or something. Right, <laughs> like, right. You know, like it's a good, good world building moment. So let's just have a few others that are not important. In well, which... we can show like, uh, like what all the other various worlds are that they've created. Too. Exactly. Yeah. We can mention um, the names of their worlds, which can be exciting, you know, names. We have that... a panel in the comic that like shows, you know, what they a look little like. Bit. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's and, you know, cool. use some of that stuff we generated, uh, in the, uh, sort of art world brainstorming session we had of, little while back so right um so they announced the finalists and then there's some you know maybe 24 hours maybe longer whatever there's some there's some window of time where they know the finalists or the nominees but they don't know the final winner and we know that zoya and tim run in the same circles so they are aware of each other let's assume that they are the clear front runners by rumor and maybe by you know in terms of their you know their own assessment may be looking at the pool. They're like, right, well, right, right. Maybe that's just their own egos, but they think of themselves as the front runners. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, now again, Zoya, you know, it's sort of debatable how much she cares. She might be more like the partner of Tim in that she's, you know, winning would be nice, but until her parents get involved, it's not really like a priority for her per se, but it is definitely a priority for Tim. Right. I mean, this is right. This is everything we know about Tim so far in the story is that this is like his singular motivation. Right. Um, and so we imagine that he might approach her and, you know, this is something I think might be likely to change, but just let's go with this for now that he might propose some kind of arrangement. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> so he's basically making like a deal with her that if, no matter which of us wins, we'll sort of pledge to help the other one join the club at some later time, essentially. Right, because right? it's an invite-only club, but like once yeah. you're in the club, do you have the ability to invite others or influence the club to invite others? Presumably you might. Mm-hmm. So it would just be like, we're just going to agree right now that no matter which of us makes it, they're going to pledge to help the other. Um, now... When we first thought of it, that was like kind of just like a handshake agreement. And then I was thinking, well, we are in a a, a simulated universe where contracts can be to some degree enforced by the laws of the universe. So I right. wonder if there's a way to to use our, our universe rules here. Um, 
it's it's not exactly clear how to do that because let's say they have this discussion on um, the maker world that they both uh, that's sort of the art college essentially that they both attend right um, or really it might be I guess on whatever world they're giving the award on I don't know sure. but they're they're in some they're at for the moment they're in the same world um. We know that any agreement they make within that world could be binding while they're in that world, right? Or even while they're using the same account, right? Because we talked about persistent accounts on worlds. Yeah. So I think now if that if that world that they're on is unimportant or if neither of them particularly cares about their account on that world. Um, right. I think... Yeah. So without getting too deep into the weeds on this, because I, I, I realize this is sort of an issue and we're going to have to solve it. Um, if they make some kind of a persistent agreement, like it, uh, it needs to be enforceable in like a very specific way. So if the, if one wins, then, you know, they don't know how the club itself works inside. So they can't kind of guarantee each other an invite for the other because that may not be something they're able to give, but they might be able to guarantee each other some other thing um, that they are able to give like um, information that they have about where the club is or something like that um, or how to get in touch with them or something. So I don't know exactly how we want to handle this. I think we probably have to think about it more later, but for now I think we should just think of it as like a gentleman's agreement that they recognize is sort of unenforceable because of sort of what it is that they're going to sort of do all they can to help the other get into the club. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, one nice thing about it being a gentleman's agreement too, is that like specifically Zoya doesn't have to put the money where her mouth is, right? Like she can sort of agree after being pestered, but, you know, she doesn't have to do anything as as risky as signing a contract, and that, that might actually make sense for her character, right? Because right. she might not, right. she might feel sort of goaded like into this and be like, "Yeah, okay, fine." <laughs> you right. Know? This but might like, be something that she doesn't really take seriously, and yeah, and I, I think we have to, yeah, we'll have to be careful about how exactly we structure this, but I think that um, that makes the most sense. Yeah. Okay, so we'll say this is not a this is not a formal contract. This is just an agreement that that Tim initiates. Yeah, unless we can think of a specific thing that would make sense that the contract would give them, such as you know access to specific information or something like that. Um, well, we just don't have a way to enforce it either. It's like so. I mean, you know, we'll have to come back to that that idea. Well, it could just be enforced by if you ever want to return to X world where we made this contract, then this thing will happen to you. And then for some reason she does return to the world and then the thing happens to her. If that's how we want to do it, I think we can make that work. And I actually think that that would be interesting because it would show like a consequence to a rule that we've set. So she has to go to that world for some reason related to her parents or related to her club duties or whatever and she knows it's going to result in this thing happening, but she just doesn't really have a choice and she just has to do it anyway. Um, 
Well, that makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, do you not want to get into that right now? Because I think we could. I mean, that like what you're sort of saying is like it's starting to make more sense in my head. Um, I don't think. Yeah. So I want to talk about it enough that it makes sense in our heads. I don't want to get too bogged down in the specifics of it because um, this might change. But I do think like, yeah, if we set it up that like essentially it's let's just say, for example, it's on the maker world that they set the thing up and they give each other like. Well, full, just. Just let me just like this could be all wrong, but just let me like just say mm-hmm. one just to see if it makes sense. Let's say they do it on the maker world and like they give each other full access to each other's like uh, visitation logs or something. You know, all the all the URLs that I've hit in the, you know, X number of days, uh, if in fact they get in, then that would be a way that they could do an enforceable specific contract that would sort of have this result of like he finds out where the club world is it's not it's not that's not the same as him getting an invite to the club of course um but that might be the best that their contract that might be the best that they are able to figure out how to contract which is sort of part of the i don't know anyway that's the first my my first crack i like the idea of the visitation logs actually because if one of the benefits of being in the club is you get to go to all the cool worlds that only they know about, right? Then the visitation logs basically reveals to you a bunch uh, of cool, a whole tips. bunch of that information. Yeah, a bunch of cool tips that you could trade for other tips or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think the the big change I would make to the way you sketch that out is I would say let's say it's not the maker world. Let's say that's it's a world that is specifically chosen to be. One a you have to go to a lot. Right, yeah, right, one right. that's like one of the major city hub worlds. Sure. like Or even Money World. Like maybe this is even like a side part of oh, Money right. World. Oh, right. Money World would be a good place to often do contracts like this because everybody wants access to Money World. And so if you're... If you renege on a contract like this, it's like you're basically giving up on all your money. <laughs> all of your money. Yeah, exactly. Is, you know, that makes it a very high stakes contract. So we have to think about whether Zoya would agree to that. But yes, that certainly works. Like, I, I guess the reason I was making it Maker World is because it's like the only thing that she would, the only reason she would screw that up is if she re- returned to Maker World, which she thinks she's not going to do. Because like, whatever, I don't really care about Maker World. But then for some reason that we come up with, which I don't have... Uh, you know, her parents or somebody makes her go back there or the club makes her go back there or like she has some reason why she has to. And, you know, knowing that it will that it will. Yeah, you I know, do have this effect. She still has to do it. If it's money world, then she has really I mean, she is very much committed then in that point because she would know yeah. that eventually she'll have to go back to money world. There's no. But that's a cool idea. Like he can suggest money world. And then she'd be like, well, I'm not doing it on money world, but I'll do it here or I'll do it you know, X other planet that we think is better. Um, uh, and then he says, okay. And then just through happenstance, that turns out to have been a bad choice. Yeah. I do like that structure where she thinks she's not signing like a weighty contract, a yeah, but, yeah. but because of the circumstances, like it ends up being a problem for her. Right. Yeah. She thought she was like not giving in very much, but turned out she was giving up something more, you know, like you said, like there's some reason she ends up having to return when she thought she wouldn't. Right. Um, yeah, I like that because I do want to preserve the fact that she clearly cares less than him, I think. Um, and the money, you know, I mean, not, I mean, we don't have to do it that way, but I do like that. And I think, um, yeah, if if they 
Although, unless the Money World thing is like she doesn't think she even needs to go back to Money World anymore, or, or she's like, or it's using her non, her like uh, secondary account or something, right? Or she's do, right, or she trying to put one over on him. Can where, just start her a new account, and they won't care about the money she lost. Or like, uh, there's, I could come up with justifications if we really need to use Money World, but I feel like I don't want to make her at all stupid. So I want to, you know, make sure that she has a good reason. She's done um, something smart where she, or to not think she, she has to go back, but then just under because of her parents or because of the club, because of something else that's going on in the world, she ends up having to go back. Yeah, I like I like that structure. So we'll 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 go with that. And I think, you know, you touched on something, too. Like we want to make her smart. We want to make Tim smart. We want to make, you know, the parents smart. We want to make the partners smart. I think like you and I, I think both generally prefer uh stories with smart characters when possible at least for your major characters especially with zoya and tim they should both be pretty smart i mean tim is making one critical error but he's not making he shouldn't be making tons of critical errors he should just be making the one and then generally being smart after that and and she's basically she should be making the right moves although sometimes we won't realize that the moves she's making are right in in the moment um but she should be pretty smart i think throughout Right, and they're both obviously, like, they're finalists in this contest, so they're both also very good at creating these art worlds. And, you know, we sort of touched on the fact that Tim's past involves being a technical writer. I think part of the reason we thought that might be a good choice for his past is that that's a little bit like what you have to do to be a good uh, maker in the Constellation, like giving very precise instructions to the exec on how to build things. Right, right. The skill set actually does translate although you would think that somebody who's happy in that line of work would not be a good artist <laughs> because it's such a tedious job um but but at the same time and i can you know I, having done this i can say this with confidence like if you can uh take what an engineer gives you explaining on how a software program works and then rewrite that for regular people to be able to follow um that actually is a yeah, that is a, a, a translation process that is quite challenging and would, I think, pay off dividends in dealing with the uh, the exec um, because it's it's technical, but it's technical um, on a on a sort of abstract linguistic level that's quite different from um, like working with an interactive system like a computer and you know um, it's using language precisely. You know? It's using language precisely to achieve technical ends. And I think that's sort of like, we thought this would give him like a really good skill set. He may or may not have like the artistic spark, the vision or whatever that is, that is required. I think that's maybe a question in the story. But and that maybe, could come from the partner in this case, right? It could come like, from the partner. That or, could be how they Or maybe he does finals. have it in some deep way, but he has a hard time accessing it. Or maybe he's just not confident about it. Or I don't know. But I think either way, he definitely has this skill set of like, he can break down and describe things in a way that the that is technical enough for them to work and uh, linguistically clear enough for the exec to understand them, and that's really why he's able to to do well. And then Zoya also has some gift, I think, maybe from her you know family upbringing, uh, for sort of describing things precisely and for using language almost like a weapon. Um, and I think that serves her well also in her uh in her world creation 
Well, I like the idea that, you know, Zoya is, I think, doesn't have a partner as far as we know, right? She's like a soul She's solo. Competitor. Solo act, yeah. She's so the she's whole got package. the full package of yeah. like the craft of giving instructions to the exec and the like sort of artistic inspiration of like what to make. Well, she's and also I, like a sad little rich girl who's, you know, like, uh, you know, parents, uh, like ambitious parents have been like up her butt her whole life. So she has like a sort of, she has that sort of inner darkness that one assumes one needs for the for the artistic part right <laughs> well you know i don't know <laughs> i think you and i both think that's a little bit bullshit but i i i i, I do think people it is a type it is a type it. and 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 you know the fact that you mentioned that means that she also has social connections working in her favor and that may have influenced the judges for all we know right um, or right and that tim may be something like that, that tim even realizes as a, yeah as a part of the thing yeah um but i guess uh i like the idea that she has like the full package of traits needed including the social connections i guess that's the third axis right or third uh, point of that triangle yep but uh i i you know i like the idea that tim is sort of like not a complete package like like him and the partner you know you could use any number of analogies but like the partners i i would imagine is more like the idea person and like right and he's and more of the uh, person executor. who does the execution. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so one's the designer, one's the coder, if you will. Um, that seems right. I think, you know, and it may be that he secretly thinks he could be just as good of a designer as his partner, but he's got some, you know, uh, complex about it or he's whatever. I mean, I think there can be some nuance and complexity to these characters because we will probably have uh, voiceover, you know, narration boxes. So... Um, that gives us uh, the ability to really get inside if we want to. Um, all right. Well, what do you think? Should we should we do anything else before we wrap uh, today's um, uh, outline session? Well, I just want to kind of like close out the the threads that we've started. Okay, so let's do that. So the the we get to this point where they make the deal, right? Zoya and Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as we've alluded to, Zoya is the one who actually wins. Right. So uh, then that's another scene where Zoya wins and he's Tim disappointed. Is angry, probably thinks it's due to her social connections or who knows, but he now is clinging to this supposed agreement that they made. And I think we'll end there. Like we won't uh, yeah. go to say what happens next, but that's, that brings us, I think, to a nice stopping point for today's episode. I think that's great. Um, yeah. So he's going to be hoping that she makes good on her promise uh, to help him now get into the club. That's right. I think that's where we should drop it for today. So um, thank you for coming along on this journey with us. And we will be back soon with more outlining. And we'll just go through it at this pace, hopefully, uh, all the w- and at this sort of level of of uh, zoom as it were uh, all the way through till the end. And then we're going to come back and probably start working on dialogue and details and uh, some of the more zoomed in stuff. Uh, that'll be the next thing. So uh, yeah, thank you for, for, for being with us and we're looking forward to, uh, to getting through all these uh, with you. Thanks for listening. This has been constellation making the graphic novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.